I went to a protest in Washington Heights that initially I thought was going to have very few people. But instead, there were thousands of people there just with signs out, with music, you know, horns blaring. And it's unlike anything I've ever seen before. You know, to me, being there in the street, it almost felt like I was in the Dominican Day Parade. Except that people were not celebrating being Dominican. Instead, they were, they were defending their democracy. From NPR and Futuro Media, it's Latino USA. I'm Maria Hinojosa. Today, how an election glitch in the Dominican Republic led to massive protests. Traditionally, February is carnival season in the Dominican Republic. It's a time when people wear colorful masks like the Diablo Cojuelo or a Roba la Gallina costume, and they take to the streets to celebrate across the nation. But this year, Dominicans have been taking to the streets for a different reason. ¡Fuera corrupción! ¡Fuera corrupción! On Sunday, February 16th, people in the DR headed to the voting booth as the nation held municipal elections. But three to four hours after voting began, the Central Electoral Board abruptly canceled the elections, citing issues with the voting machines. Pero la Junta Central Electoral ha decidido y decide en este momento suspender las elecciones a nivel general. The DR spent millions of dollars on these new electronic voting machines and started using them in a presidential primary race that began in October. But on the day of the municipal election, just a few weeks ago, people began reporting that some candidates' names were missing from the ballots. This was the last straw in a series of frustrations that Dominicans have been having with their electoral process. And since mid-February, they've been protesting nonstop. Demonstrations have extended to cities where there are large communities of Dominicans in the United States, like Miami and New York, and in other places around the globe, like Barcelona and Paris. Our digital media editor, Amanda Alcantara, has been covering this story. And today she breaks down why this election glitch has caused such an uproar and how it's connected to a history of entrenched political power in the Dominican Republic. So, Amanda, you are our resident expert on all things from the Dominican Republic, and you've been out at some protests that are happening right here in New York City over the past couple of weeks. So tell us about those protests. What have they been like and what are they about? So those protests have been in solidarity with other protests taking place in Dominican Republic. So can you tell me your first and last name and why you decided to come out? My name is Rowdy Caceres, and I'm just showing support for my country. Even though I haven't been there in 15, 18 years, it's enough. Like, they, all they're doing is stealing, mistreating everybody. Is it, Enough is enough. That's it. Why you decided to come with your son? I want to show him from, from his young age that he has to show support for his people. Even though he was born here, he's Dominican at heart, so I want him to see. He, he was asking me, Daddy, why is everyone here? And I told him, they're showing support for their country. One thing that was super interesting about the protests was that there were people there of all ages, you know? So normally when I go to these protests in the past, it's sort of the same message from older Dominicans who are very, very involved in local politics. But when I was talking to people in Washington Heights, 
They were young, younger than me, I'm 29 years old. And I spoke to one young woman, Annabelle Morales, who told me that she was worried about her mom because her mom was about to move back to the Dominican Republic. And she wants to go back to a fair country, a safe country with no corruption, and I'm here to support her today. And I thought this was super interesting, you know, because normally the parents worry about the kids, but here you had a kid worrying about her mom. And that's a situation with many people. You know, we have grandparents in the Dominican Republic, or some of our parents are in the Dominican Republic, some of our parents want to return. So let's take it to the DR. You've been talking to people on the ground in the DR. So what do they say about the protests there? So I spoke to one person, Jose Maria Cabral. He is a Dominican filmmaker, and he's been on the front lines of the protests. I was at my apartment changing to go to the place where I vote. So I was just getting ready for it. And then I, I saw a tweet I read about it, and I'm like, wow. What is happening? So it was actually a chalk. So on that Sunday, February 16, people were just out voting. Dominican Republic takes their election day very seriously. It's held on a Sunday for that reason, because Sunday, you know, it's a day when you're supposed to stay home. So it's almost like the entire country mobilizes to go vote. And this particular election was very, very important. These are the municipal elections, which sort of set the tone for the upcoming presidential elections in May. And now the board is saying that they're rescheduling the elections for March 15th. But bringing it back to Jose Maria Cabral, you know, he, he said that initially there weren't a lot of people in the protests. Monday, there were about 100 people. I don't know, maybe 100 people. And initially, Jose Maria Cabral told me that there were people online saying that it was only the popis who were outside protesting. And the popis basically entitled wealthy, rich people. And from um, middle, high class. And so there was this kind of controversy to who is the people who is going to the protest and how many people are going. So all of this class difference and stereotypes were being fomented by people on the outside from the part of the government to just kind of like create more division and confusion about as to who was out there? Yeah, so not quite the government, but there was one particular candidate from the party in power who was tweeting this. It was a way of stopping people from joining, especially because no one wants to be labeled a popi. And people immediately called him out. That didn't stop the protests from growing. Tuesday was the, the crucial day. And he said that there was one moment when, to him... Everything changed. It was a moment that brought more people out into the street. So I want to show you a video. Somebody is like throwing, like, is it a, a, a smoke bomb or a... It's a tear gas bomb. Okay. That was thrown at the protesters. About two to three tear gas bombs were thrown at them. And it seemed to come from authorities. We still don't have answers of who... If it was the police, if it was the military, who threw tear gases? So if you look at the video, it looks like it's coming from directly inside the Junta Central Electoral. So you hear them, you know, they're, they're clearly like in a state of shock because there's like smoke, there's tear gas around them. But then they didn't disperse, they started chanting. 
We ran and then we came back again and then another tear gas, but we didn't leave. We stayed and we just started reporting on social media. And I think it helped because then TV came, more people came that Tuesday night. And that was the thing that ignited everything. Because after that, it was not 100 or 200 people. It was thousands of people in the Plaza La Bandera. He says that the tear gas bomb, he called it an efecto bomba, where it actually brought more people out. And, you know, Maria, I found that super interesting because if I was in the Dominican Republic and that happened in a protest, my mom would be like, no, you're staying home. (laughs) You know, like, even though I'm an adult, it would terrify me. But instead, what happened was that it created this sort of, like, spirit of solidarity and it made people want to come out because they saw this as a direct attack on the right that people have to protest peacefully. The biggest one so far was on February 27th, which is normally Independence Day. And I'm sure you know this, Maria. February 27th is like an international holiday for celebrating the independence of the Dominican Republic. It's a celebration. It's a party. But instead... Instead, there was a giant rally that brought thousands, thousands, thousands of people out. And I'm going to show you a photo of that right now so you can see. That's like tens of thousands of people there. Yeah. So what was your understanding of what the bigger issues are that these protesters are concerned with? People are angry at these ongoing claims of corruption. And they're also upset about the ruling party, the PLD. The party has been in power for over 18 years. The only party that I have ever known is the PLD. So the PLD or PLD is the... Dominican Liberation Party, or Partido de Liberación Dominicana. So tell us more about the party. So interestingly enough, Maria, and I think that this is in the name of the party, right? Dominican Liberation Party. It was started by Juan Bosch. Juan Bosch was a politician who was elected by the people to be the president in 1963 after dictator Rafael Unidas Trujillo was assassinated. And because of fear of communism at the time, the U.S. helped stage a coup against him. And he was never able to be president. But he did start this party in the 70s, right? So this is a party that began as sort of like a leftist party meant to be for the people. Instead, it has evolved into the center-right political organization that has a hold on the political landscape of the country. Right now, the president is Danilo Medina, And I actually sat down with a professor at Lehman College, Milagros Ricur. She teaches Latin American and Caribbean studies. And she broke it down for me. They control everything. And they were the one calling off the election process, something unprecedented in in the Dominican Republic and elsewhere. What happened there is there is no transparency. So does the PLD control the elections if they've got so much power? Or is the electoral system an independent system? Like who, in fact, shut down the municipal elections? So technically, the PLD does not control the central electoral board. But the general understanding in the country and in the public is that they do. Because they control all of the executive branches of the government. 
And the only way to get ahead in the country politically is to join, or at one point was to join, the PLD. So on the day when the elections were canceled, the Central Electoral Board put out a statement saying that they did it because of the voting glitches. Later, there was a video that was leaked that showed that the Central Electoral Board consulted President Danilo Medina about whether or not they should cancel the elections. So, of course, this is why protesters are in the street demanding, the main demand is transparency, because they feel like there's bias in the electoral process, because the PLD is all up in there. <laughs> I mean, that's really the, 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 way, the best way to say it. And it's super interesting because there were rumors that there were issues with the machines and that the electoral board was going to troubleshoot them. And some opposition party leaders began expressing concern that their names weren't coming up in the ballots. So then when the elections were canceled, people believed that there was a fraud attempt. It seems like it made people very uncomfortable that the ruling party, which is supposed to be completely removed from the Electoral Commission, suddenly we know that they both, the Electoral Commission, as well as the president, make a decision to stop voting. It basically means that the so-called democracy is in question. Yeah. and. It doesn't look good when suddenly only the opposition candidates disappear from the ballot on the faulty voting machines, not the PLD candidates. And I mean, Maria, you know, the best way for me to kind of explain it and explain how politics works in the Dominican Republic and how embedded the PLD is in everyday anything that happens there is I live in in New York, right? If I want to do an event with the New York Public Library, I'm only dealing with the New York Public Library and maybe some sort of, you know, New York City bureaucracy. I don't have to go to the Democratic Party, right, even though the mayor is a Democrat. I just deal with the New York Public Library. In Dominican Republic, if you want to have an event with any sort of public institution, you have to shake hands with the PLD. You might be asked to do a photo op at the end of the event with the PLD. They really are embedded in almost every aspect of different institutions around the country. Coming up on Latino USA, how a corruption case that rocked Latin America is tied to the protests taking place in the Dominican Republic. Stay with us. No te vayas. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp, the online counseling service dedicated to connecting you with a licensed counselor to help you overcome whatever stands in the way of your happiness. Fill out a questionnaire and get matched with a professional tailored to your needs. And if you aren't satisfied with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time free of charge. Visit BetterHelp.com Latino to get 10% off your first month. Get the help you deserve with BetterHelp. On a secret military recording, a sound so haunting, one scientist believed it could change the world. My mind was racing as I listened to this, and I thought, this, this is the way. Join NPR's Invisibilia for the first episode of our new season.
Hey, we're back. And today we're talking about the cancellation of elections in the Dominican Republic and the mass protests that quickly followed. I'm here in the studio with our digital media editor, Amanda Alcantara, and we're going to get back to the conversation now. So why is it exactly so concerning to people that the PLD controls so much? It's concerning because there have been widespread corruption allegations directed at the PLD. And one of the biggest cases that went down in 2016 was the Odebrecht scandal. Giant hydroelectric plant in Punta Catarina, the Dominican Republic's largest ever public works project, being built by none other than Odebrecht, Brazil's engineering giant that's confessed paying $92 million in bribes. Which erupted across Latin America. Odebrecht is this giant Brazilian conglomerate that bribed elected officials and politicians across the region in order to gain access to local contracts. And in Dominican Republic, the PLD was implicated in the corruption scandal there with a power plant that was being constructed in the southern part of Dominican Republic. And what is super interesting, Maria, and kind of wild to me, honestly, is that in almost every other country in Latin America, there have been repercussions, but not in Dominican Republic. The Odebrecht has been a worldwide scandal. This is Professor Milagros Ricourt again. Many presidents in Latin America were put in jail. The only place where the Odebrecht people, you know, like all these people that were bribed that by the Odebrecht were still in power and free is the Dominican Republic. That's right. So no one ended up in prison. No one ended up in prison. Even though the charges of corruption and bribery were massive. Yeah, and people organized back then in protests that were historic to protest this giant corruption scandal. And they see this as a moment, as a moment of corruption being in your face and not being able to do anything about it. And the thing about these giant corruption cases, Maria, is that people see them as taking money directly from the people. They have taken the money of the students, you know, in rural areas. They have taken the money of all these women giving birth to children in public hospital. So they're taking the money from us. So when I spoke to Milagros, she told me the story about her mom. They're taking the money from my mother. My mother is 94. And every six months, she has to go to the capital to prove that she's alive. So as her, she can be taken in a car because she, she's in a very in different positions. But there are many people coming from San Juan de la Maguana. Mm-hmm. Poor people in wheelchairs. Uh, yeah, and San Juan de la Maguana is, is very far from the capital. Yeah, you know, very, it's very the far. It's part of Dominican Republic. And in, probably near, uh, very near to the, to the border with Haiti. Mm-hmm. So that's abusive. So people have this feeling that they're being stolen from themselves. The money is being taken from them. And they do pay taxes. And when I was in the protest in Washington Heights, one of the chants actually was, Nosotros aquí mandando y ellos allá robando. So we're here sending dollars and sending thousands in remittances. And they're out there stealing, meaning the politicians. There has been an accusation, a formal accusation, that the PLD has been buying votes. So what exactly does this look like? So 
Even though Danilo has denied all allegations. And Danilo is the president of the PLD and of the country. Yeah, so even though President Danilo Medina has denied all allegations, there have been indicators and reports of vote buying that they go into, you know, these working class neighborhoods and they offer people, quote unquote, 500 pesos or pica pollo, which is fried chicken. 500 pesos is like $10. So one of the messages during the protests is actually that the people will no longer accept pica pollo for their vote. It's been kind of like funny, you know, like a funny message of the elections. But it also, to me, it also does speak to how disenfranchised and marginalized some people in the Dominican Republic are, that you're put in a position where you would give away your ability to vote instead of demanding something bigger. You know, instead of being able to demand a job, instead of being able to demand better opportunities for yourself. So to me, I almost think of President Danilo Medina as an absent father (laughs) who shows up every Christmas to give away gift baskets because they do that. And every four years to take a photo with you. And despite all this, the PLD is losing support. They're trailing behind in the polls for the first time in a very long time. And they feel threatened by the opposition. So tell us a little bit about the opposition. So who are the politicians who are threatening or perceived to be threatening to the PLD? I mean, the opposition is also kind of shady, Maria. So Luis Abinader, who is sort of the main opposition leader, recently there was an article in the Washington Post that came out that said that Rudy Giuliani, we're talking about Donald Trump's attorney, flew to the Dominican Republic to be there as a consultant because he was hired by Luis Abinader. So then other opposition leaders are saying, well, look at this guy trying to get the U.S. to support him in order to become president. You know, he's, he, this is what he's doing. He's trying to get the U.S. backing in order to, to take the PLD out of power. So people don't really see that much difference between him and the PLD either. All right. So the opposition isn't perfect. There's a lot of anger, pent up anger. People are taking it to the streets. But where do things go from here? You know, Maria, I've been thinking about this question a lot. And I have been asking everyone who I've spoken to this question. And what I've gathered is that institutional change is not going to happen from one day to the next. You know, so a change in the government might not come out of these protests. But what is coming out of this protest is an incredible spirit of solidarity. And it is a change in the way that people view their elected officials. So before, people felt abandoned. And like this term in Spanish, como resignación. Resignation. Yeah, that people had when it came to politics. You know, it was like, there's nothing that we can do to change what is happening. So, for example, with the PLD, if you couldn't change them you might as well join them. So now with these protests that are happening in the streets, people are starting to see the government as different. And they're starting to view the government as accountable to them. Like, hey, I am voting for you. So what are you going to offer me for your vote? That is not 500 pesos in Pica Pollo. I think one thing that people don't realize is that even though the Dominican Republic, it's a small half of the island that it shares with Haiti, 
But there are Dominicans in so many other parts of the world, in fact, leaving because of the political or economic crisis people have been leaving for decades. So there is a large group of Dominicans that are in places like Miami, Dallas, Barcelona, Paris, Rome. So in these protests, is this just solidarity or do you feel like the diaspora feel like they're very much invested in potentially helping to make change happen on the island? It's a little bit of both. For Dominicans in the diaspora, there are things that happen here in relation to being dual citizens or in relation to being Americans wanting to travel to Dominican Republic that the people want to see change. But there's also this sort of resounding message that I left the country and I didn't necessarily want to, but I did it because of the conditions that I was living in. So we're talking about issues with poverty. We're talking about issues with education. We're talking about femicide. You know, Dominican Republic has one of the highest femicides rate in Latin America. And we're talking about a country that has a steady growth of 5% economic growth every year. And yet in 2018, the UN released a report saying that it was growing in inequality. People see the economic growth happening in the country. They see, you know, a new hotel opening up in a beach. They see these foreign investors coming in and, you know, all of these booming businesses happening all around them. And they're wondering, well, what about me? So this is really personal for you. I have my makeup done. It's pretty cute. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is, Maria, you know. Why? Um, I mean, you you were born here. You were raised in the DR, but you're, you know, you're very much a New Yorker, an East Coaster, and yet you're brought to tears because of the protests that are happening on the island where you were raised. Yeah, and it's because, you know, I always wonder, how would my life be had I stayed? And if I had had, you know, better opportunities, you know, it's cold in New York City. Right. And it's nice and warm and beautiful in Dominican Republic. I have high school friends there. I have family there. I didn't used to feel like an outsider there. And sometimes I do because I've been living here for so long. So it hurts. It hurts. And when I see everything that is happening, you know, it reminds me of why I I take so much time to learn about the politics. And it's because it's a way of staying connected. You know, seeing these protests for me, Maria, something that has also been a lot of fun, right? <laughs> we don't have to end it on a sad note. Um, we can, though. And I wasn't sad. <laughs> so, <laughs> Something that has also been a lot of fun for me has been seeing the creativity of the protests and seeing how people are using the things that we all love about Dominicans. You know, we have created rhythms and, and sounds and musics that are heard all over the world. And seeing people take all of that creativity to fight for a better future, that has been really cool. And it has been a lot of fun. And I want to show you a video. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God! 
those are like the cheap little horns or trumpets that people use like on New Year's. So yeah, Dominican. yeah. But then what I really like is also, did you catch what he said in the beginning? No, what did he say? So basically this guy, he's looking in the camera and he tells the camera, you could be here, but you're roughly translated, taking money from the government. And then he hands the camera to everybody that's around him just having a blast. And it makes me see that the feeling of powerlessness that the people had, it's starting to fade away. Amanda, thank you so much for telling us about this story and for um, letting us know how much it means to you. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for sitting down with me today. Amanda Alcantara is our digital media editor here at Futuro Media. This episode was produced by Amanda Alcantara and Alisa Scarce and edited by Sofia Paliza Carr. The Latino USA team includes Miguel Macias, Luis Treyes, Antonia Cerejido, Janice Yamoka, and Alejandra Salazar, with help from Joanne DeLuna. Special thanks to Frank Amelang. Our engineers are Stephanie LeBeau and Julia Caruso. Additional engineering this week by Leah Shaw. Our production manager is Natalia Fidelholz. Our interns are Julia Inés Esparza and Julia Rocha. Our theme music was composed by Zenia Rubinos. If you like the music you heard on this episode, stop by latinousa.org and check out our weekly Spotify playlist. I'm your host and executive producer, Maria Hinojosa. Join us again on our next episode. And in the meantime, look for us on all of your social media. Ciao. Latino USA is made possible in part by W.K. Kellogg Foundation, a partner with communities where children come first. The John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. And the Ford Foundation, working with visionaries on the front lines of social change worldwide. I literally went home last night to cry about not being in DR. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm Maria Hinojosa, next time on Latino USA. Mother Jones reporter Fernanda Chavarri takes us to Santa Fe, New Mexico, where we meet newly arrived migrant families trying to start a life from scratch. That's next time on Latino USA.